Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Peter Coghill, Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're talking about computer games and their real life utility. Unusually, I'd like to start off because I'd like to talk about a game that I used to play and I went through a period of playing it quite intensely. And this is when I lived in Qatar about 15 years ago and I managed to access a free copy of The Sims. Okay, Now, I had a lot of free time on my hands in Qatar and, um, and so I played it quite a lot. Okay, And um, for anyone who's not familiar with The Sims, and I'm sure you all are though, um, is essentially you have your own real-life character, you build their life and you've got to look after them, make sure they're all right. Okay. Um, and that they progress in life, get a nicer house, better job, etc., etc. But it got to the point where, I mean, I was very invested in the character that I'd made. And, um, and the, the certain humorous things happen if you don't sort of send them off to the loo. You know, they'll wee themselves. And if you don't feed them, they'll starve. If they don't sleep, they'll sort of turn into, you know, they'll go mad, essentially. And after a while, as much fun as it was, after a while I thought, you know what? I've got enough trouble, enough work in my own life making sure that I don't wee myself and that I get enough sleep and that I feed myself without having to do this with a, with a bloody computer simulation. And so I just thought, you know what? This is just too much like real life and I've had it. This is not fun anymore. Okay. And so I pretty much immediately stopped playing that game. Um, so these are my thoughts. What, are, what, are you, what is your response to what I've just said? Well, and then you had children, presumably, and started all over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So, yeah. and um, Maybe you maybe you could have less free time in Qatar if you hadn't been playing this game so much. Just a thought. Um, you would have had friends and a life. No, but you can't have friends in a life in Qatar. That's the problem. All oh, right, okay. Certainly not. And now, also, no they're probably not that. as good as the characters in The Sims. Your characters were probably more interesting than uh, than, than other expats in in Qatar. Um, Quite possibly. Yeah. I mean, the thing is about game, the, the, there's an interesting question about why we play games which are close to simulations like um, like The Sims. I mean, obviously the the first big sim game was sim city great game. very unlike uh it's very groundbreaking because you know you weren't really a character most computer games had made you a character and you were a person and uh in sim city you were a very abstract kind of personality you were if anything a sort of town planner saying well i want this uh area to be residential and i want a road here and um you know you weren't a person in a game uh doing stuff um and actually you know the, the, so the, there's a question it's, it's an interesting question why we are entertained by that kind of thing, uh, why we like seeing simulations unfold. And of course, there's now, you know, the, these days games of uh, massively more complexity. Um, but of course, then at the same time, there's a limit to what we as a player are able to uh, do in, in games. So, you know, there's, there's this interesting kind of design, um, th- this, this design uh, tension between giving the player a manageable number of things to do and at the same time, having a vastly increased simulation with lots and lots of detail in it uh and um you know obviously people vary in their in their preferences um but uh the 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 and and that this touches on something else i think we're interested in which is um you know what can you use simulations for in in real life i mean how are they how how is it useful to give put someone in the position of a potential decision maker in a simulation what's the utility of of games and particularly of, of simulations but is that the question we want to discuss, um, which is how how useful simulations are? Or do we also want to talk about, um, if we especially look at it from a gaming point of view, is 
how much fun is it if it's too much like real life? Maybe we can discuss both. Um, but those are the questions you want to look at, right? Yes? Yeah. No? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to jump in? Chris? Peter? Yeah, well, I, I think um, it, the, the sort of uh, fun and realism uh, kind of dilemma... Uh, or, or you know how you how you balance fun against um, against realism because obviously as, as you found from your experience something that effectively replicated your own life not that your life isn't great fun but as a game that wasn't that wasn't terribly uh, entertaining um, so if you can if you can make if you can sort of raise up the level of abstraction and make yourself m- more omnipotent and omniscient and and um be able to see more of the world and become godlike effectively uh then that perhaps is is more fun who doesn't who doesn't want to be a you know an all-powerful deity sort of toying with people um and and but there you've got this this balance between being able to see uh things on a you know on a on a detailed uh sort of scale versus being able to see the big picture and you know move mountains and uh sink whole civilizations and somewhere there's a sort of sweet spot where you get enough of the enough of the realism and an, uh, enough engagement with what's going on and uh also um enough power and enough breadth of vision well there's two there's two separate things here which we need to consider separately i think or it's helpful to consider separately (laughs) one is the sort of decision environment that you're put in in a game so what are the you know effectively how many decisions do you have uh how much um randomness is there uh you know how much is it to do with your sort of physical skill sometimes called sort of twitch ability you know where where you're sort of you know running and jumping over things how much is it to do with sort of slow deliberative decision making and so on um all of which is completely irrelevant to the theme which is something quite different so you know you can have you could have a very uh you know a very detailed complicated game um about making a cup of tea or you could you know you could have a very abstract game where you are ruling an entire planet it doesn't the, the theme the who you are the decisions you have to make are very different uh, to the uh, to the structure, the kind of decision structure that you're put into, and and this is um, I mean this is a very old uh, sort of issue which has been dealt with in board game design before computer game design was was a thing. Um, so you know, and 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 it's and it's a, a topic of quite a lot of discussion about what the right level is, you know, to make a game entertaining. It, at the absolute extreme, you get these monster games. Uh, the classic example is Campaign for North Africa, right? The the playtime in Campaign for North North Africa is uh, sixty thousand minutes, which works out at about forty days non-stop playing, uh, and it's it's an incredibly detailed simulation of the of the uh, North African campaign during World War Two, which seeks to track every item of ammunition, every piece of food, uh, you know, tr- tracks the uh, condition of every vehicle. It has rules. That one of one of the things it's famous for having a rule where you know italians require more water per head because they have pasta and you've got to take into account you know the water you need for cooking pasta it's ridiculous um and and i i venture to say even though i've never played it that you could play an entire game of north africa not ever actually have had to think about uh what you're actually doing you know it's all <laughs> process you're all just managing the simulation and uh, in contrast a game like memoir 44 which has uh it's a war game 20 20 page rule book um and a friend of mine who um used to design military simulations 
uh, claims it's he thinks it's the most realistic war game, one of the most realistic war games he's played. It's very, very abstract. You know, it's very much sort of, you know, I'm going to move two squares with this unit, roll a few dice, get because it simulates the decision environment of a military commander who doesn't need to know where every item of ammunition is. He can assume that someone is doing that. You know, what he needs to know is just broadly where his units, you know, where is his command focus, uh, what are his chances of winning if he orders a particular assault. That's So that that tension, you know, between sort of accuracy of simulation and playability is something which predates computer games. Quite, right. quite, quite but presumably, the in you know, where we have now got to with the technologies is whereas before you might have wanted to have that level of detail from the first game you, you talked about in order to make the 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 environment in which the simulation is taking place uh kind of representative so you might you might have wanted somehow the uh, amount of pasta the italians were eating to factor into the outcomes related to the to the game and the only way of doing that in a board game was for somebody to actually work it out and go through the process now we have technologies where that that process side of the game can be taken care of and you know the the results are built up over the, with that level of detail and that level of realism uh but you don't a human doesn't need to engage with working out how much pasta everybody needs. well yes so this but this comes down to what you need to simulate and what you can abstract and i mean you don't need to have rules for italians using more uh water well you can abstract that completely by by you know having rules that say that the italians have you know you might have an abstract logistics uh supply uh, cost and you just say the, the italians have to have an extra cube each each uh, week you don't need to know that that's because you know they are using more pasta and to or, have an actual rule about it or a piece uh, of fusilli yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah um peter we've not heard from you yet what are your thoughts on all this uh well a uh, good, good example but even within a genre of game uh you can get very different kind of results so I, i'm a bit of a first person shooter junkie always have been i know it's a dirty secret but uh I, i've recently been playing a couple of games one is armor three it's been out for a few years now Ooh, but I like the sound of that. It, it, it it seeks to be hyper realistic it tries to uh it gives you very you know there's extremely good physics there's extremely good lighting effects um the sort of weather effects uh the ai the enemies have is pretty good and the way they react and the way they sort of they try to outflank you and move around and stuff very good um but it's really difficult when you when you play it on standard standard difficulty settings. It's really hard to the point where it's not fun. In fact, I've been playing it with reduced settings because I just can't be bothered because I want to make I want to get through. I want to get make progress. Uh, contrast that to things like Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, cool sounding name. Um, it it it's very similar on the face of it. It's a first person shooter, but it's but it's uh, it's more entertaining. It's more like junk food. It kind of it just it's, it's you have to be less invested in it, and it kind of suits the computer, the interface that's available. Because armor would be great if you were fully suited up in a in a haptic feedback uh, VR suit with headset and everything. And Sounds like you might you as well could just en- join the army. You could engage yeah. the world in the same way as you might in the army, uh, but being restricted to a keyboard and mouse uh, and, a, and a sort of uh, 24-inch monitor in front of you. You, 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 you. It's really too difficult for that. But I, but I dare say, I mean, it, it sort of, um, it, it, it kind of maybe the more realistic simulation. Because I dare say, actually trying to, you know, be involved in in sort of close quarters combat 
is probably really difficult. So, you know, your your actual ability to kill 20, 25 people every every two minutes or something, you know, if if we could do that, then we'd uh, we'd have the British Empire again. I, I just... The, sorry, this, I, but this... I mean, the, the problem with, you know, simulating lots of detail is it doesn't... It's not more realistic. We need to get away from this idea that uh, having detail is the same as realism as far as the decision maker is concerned. Hmm. Um, and the, I mean, the really good example is a game, I think it's called QASD or something. And it's, it's an online game where you control a runner, but you basically control his, uh, his thighs and his calves. And you, you, so you have one button for it to make his thighs go up and down and another one to make his calves kick forwards hmm. and backwards. And uh, the aim is to try and run. And if you can get more than about a metre without falling over, you're doing really well. It's incredibly hard, right? But it is a very is it detailed, fun? detailed simulation. Is it fun? It's, it's, uh, it, it's limited in, its, in what it offers. But, but the point is that it's a very detailed simulation, right, of, of um, you know, moving someone's legs. Uh, it's, but it, it's actually more realistic for me if I just point the thing to the right and the man runs. Okay. Um, I want to talk about fun. I don't know if we want to talk about fun, but I want to talk about fun. We, we love fun. Good. So I want to talk about Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Um, and I think what's fun about that is on one level, it has a certain amount of realism in it. And it's and it's based on a, a kind of a real world that we sort of recognize. Um, there's a car, there's music, you're driving around, certainly the original driving around um, downtown, downtown Miami. But what's great about it is who amongst us hasn't dreamt of just one day just driving off onto the pavement or sidewalk and just mowing over some people and and getting your gun or or even just a hammer and go walk up to a policeman and smacking on the head and seeing how and then you know going and shooting a stripper dead or something i mean it's just it's that sort of it's it's the possibilities i don't don't, don't dream about doing that very often I, uh, yeah, keep it light, Fraser. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I think the um, the the issue here is this. This sort of reminds me of this of of these things um, phenomena in which we have come to get used to kind of tropes in in games and tropes in films that are uh, there because we expect them to be like that, not because they're actually realistic. So the the classic example is the horse's hooves being with coconuts, uh, which horses' hooves don't sound like coconuts at all. But now, if you see a horse. Uh, you expect the coconut sign uh, sound, and if you don't hear coconuts, you, you it doesn't feel like the the horse is walking properly. Likewise, with I mean, the whole art of foley is putting noises in where you expect them, even if they're not there in real life. And I think computer games are full of this kind of thing. Where if Grand Theft Auto was realistic, it would be really boring, you know, because you die immediately as soon as you got shot instead of having a health bar. You know, uh, oh, you could they, say that for a lot of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Games, so yeah. games always have things like you know, you get these health packs where you're instantly restored and stuff, and and it's because it's boring if you don't have that. You know, it's actually bore realism is boring in a game. Mm. Um, so you know what, it's I I think this idea that the aim is to pursue more realism doesn't really stand up to how we actually experience fun. Sure. Um, actually, there's a there's a game called I think it's called Checkpoint or Passport or something like that which you can play on your iPad or iPhone, and um, where you're uh, a Cold War era... Papers, East, please. Yeah, papers, please. And you're a, you're a, you're a border guard um, in Eastern Europe, and you have to check people's papers, and they're sort of... 
different documents coming through and you need to work out which ones are false and, and you've got to decide whether to accept a bribe because you're not getting enough is this, money is, this, is this outsourced does this crowdsourced work by the uk border forces they have they found a way of uh... <laughs> and the thing is i played it it was got great reviews i played it i thought it was a load of rubbish I, it was just so boring I, again i don't want to sit there sort of checking papers that's no fun um anyway look we need to wrap up um so wh- what do we wh- wh- what do you want to finish off on how do you how do you want to wrap all this up well, I, I, su- I suppose the um, the the you know one of the um, applications of this this technology now, which is uh, even more relevant to you know analytical decision making, is that um, these games of these particularly these open world games where you've got vast kind of uh, complex simulations of of real worlds, maybe cities or you know environments. Um, are now increasingly being applied to real-world decision-making uh, and um, trying to determine, you know, for example, what happens if there's a, a particular type of disaster in a city, what will happen in that, that world, and building up uh, like agent-based models where every person is an individual and acts in a particular way in, in, a, in, a, in a riot or, you know, some other civil, civil disturbance. So the utilisation of this technology for to support real world decision making uh is something that's expanding and where this this question of how much detail should you put into that that world because you know now the 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 amount of processing power that can be applied to that means you can detail you can provide detail on perhaps every individual within a city and their flat and the sewage system and you know how traffic works in that city but does that necessarily provide a uh, more accurate or more useful simulation of of yeah. the world and that's and that's uh, the there's i've seen lots of concrete examples where a more simple model is actually generally much more useful not only because it's probably easier and quicker to run uh but also it just gives you a better decision so dsdl is, does, does lots of modeling for to support decision making and one of the one of the key areas of modeling in simulation comes in is deciding whether or not to buy whether when when they're buying a new tank say whether to buy tank a from ba systems or tank b from lockheed martin um and they the uh, one of the tests that will go through is a, a sort of modeling and a simulation test to see given all other factors kept set, kept the same how would a versus b perform um and lots of different models that they use for doing this sort of thing and uh, generally the the best models are more the more abstract ones where large formations are modeled as entities and there's a stochastic relationship between the, the, uh, an action and a given event rather than trying to model everything down to a single bullet uh, with, with every single entity modelled individually. Uh, quite, uh, quite apart from the fact that that's, it obscures the audit trail. So it's harder to unpick what assumptions have, are driving outcomes when you do that. Um, it, uh, it, it also means that you know, small errors in your assumptions about those very detailed things can can magnified. can be magnified in yeah. in when you when you simulate yeah. the whole thing. I got a good real life example of um, from uh, uh, again the same friend I mentioned earlier uh, who, who used to design military simulations, uh, who uh, apparently was uh, at one point trying to simulate what impact uh, it would have if we if our early warning aircraft had a had a wider detection radius. So if we effectively made it more effective, uh, and uh, the, in the simulation. Uh, this aircraft, it, when when they sort of simulated having this wider detection radius so they could detect threats earlier, uh, it it turned out that everything performed more poorly. 
and um, it took some time, uh, you know, in the face, by the way, of, of sort of various uh, senior military people saying, oh, well, this just goes to show what a load of rubbish computer simulations are, uh, to actually identify which bit was, was driving that. And it turned out it's because there's this, uh, one of the doctrines, one of the, one of the items of doctrine says that when you detect a threat, if you're an early warning aircraft, you should land immediately. Now that's fine if you have a short detection radius. It means you're you're immediately under threat as soon as as soon as an enemy uh, fighter appears. But of course, if if you don't change that bit of doctrine, uh, actually does make you less effective because it means that the the more threats you can detect, the longer you'll be on the ground. And and I mean that's in a sense not realistic because actually in real life, you know that the doctrine would have changed, it, and it took some time to identify that. Um, because it was quite a detailed simulation. That's the kind of problem you wouldn't necessarily have if you did if you dealt with these things at a higher level. Okay. Um, well, look, on that note, we're going to have to wrap up. Um, it's time for us to jump into our convertible Corvette and uh, cruise around North London, knocking over police and small children and and going on a shooting spree, right? Yeah, average, average Monday afternoon, in other words. So thank you very much for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Rag, Nick Hare, and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And until next time, thanks and goodbye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.